We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. Welcome back to 10 Questions. Today's guest is Fiona O'Loughlin. She's a comedy national treasure. I'm in awe of not just how funny she is, but how easy she finds it to be funny. After a relatively late start, she's taken her hilarious, brutally honest act to adoring audiences all over the world. I'll share with you some of her achievements as the interview goes on, but one of her most important achievements is that she's made people who are parents and people who are addicts and people who are just different feel less alone. It's as though she has put on this earth to share her own experiences and give people some relief from the difficulties of life. This interview takes place after a tumultuous year for Fiona. She was in a coma for a month. We'll talk about that. And then she spent six months in rehab. She's sober now. She's back doing stand-up. And as usual, I started by asking her when she was most happy. Well, apart from now, which is really one of the happiest parts of my life, um, because I feel like I've finally dealt with, yeah, my addiction and I've come out of a long-term rehab and everything's new. But So I'm, I'm experiencing happiness now that I haven't had for a very long time, but I think the happiest I've ever been was in the middle of the night after I gave birth to my first child. And it's very, very rare in a in your life, you know, does something meet, not only meet your expectations, you know, they say that, you know, half the joy of things is looking forward to them, but to not just meet your expectation, but then for it to go up and over the way, that's what it was like for me. I was only 22 and this beautiful little baby boy. And I kept waking up and remembering that it was real and it was physical, yeah, it was so happy. It was a physical surge of joy every time I looked at him. Wow. Insane happiness. And then it wore off. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, so powerful, that, that, that connection with a child. I guess it's so you don't kill them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the thing you 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 hear all the time, you know, that, that it is an amazing experience because from the outside – it looks okay, but um, yeah. But when people who you know very well go through it and and they speak so highly of it, you have to take notice. Well, I heard the funniest thing the other day. Matt Hardy, who's a great comedian, I love him, and he was uh, he's just had children, you know, in his late forties, and he's so embarrassed. He said, "I just want to go back and show everyone who ever tried to tell me, I'm so sorry, I didn't listen." You know, like. <laughs> He's so ashamed of himself because he said, I couldn't listen. He said, I've never been more bored in my life hearing people talk about their kids and showing me photos. And now he's just mental for his two daughters. And oh, yeah. Forever showing people photos. Although I still believe that no one really ever wants to look at a photo of another person's child. <laughs> yeah, it, look... I, I think I've they, become... They you want to see a photo and everyone says yes, but the, <laughs> the truth is they don't. Every in your body, every cell in your body is going, don't show me, you stupid kid. I'm not interested. I'm way more disposed to it as as I've got older. <laughs> and the, when you come from massive, like, kids are a dime a dozen with my lot, but 
you know, people who have the two and they're, they're oh, and they've got such different personalities. Like, really get a nice and stabbing <laughs> girl. Fiona has five children and she's one of seven and her closest sister has nine. You would have sent a lot of photos. <laughs> and if you show someone, you, uh, you know your baby's ugly, I'll tell you. If, you. if someone says, oh, they've got long fingers, that's all they can talk about. You know, they just grab hold of something. You know you've got a real doozy on your hands. <laughs> it's like when you've seen a performance in a show and you pick out Oh, dear God. Two yeah. things that you like. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about when it happens to you? So I was like, gee, you were up there for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a mate who hosted a, uh, a show and he did such a good job. He was really funny. But he went out to the crowd afterwards and he met, met this girl that he knew who, and he, he was quite keen on her and they were just talking small talk for a while and then there was some silence until she finally said, well, that happened. <laughs> Fiona quite rightly says that the only thing worse than getting zero compliments after a performance is getting zero compliments at a funeral, something which she's seen firsthand. There was no one to give the eulogy because he was so repugnant and... The priest just said, David was a human being. <laughs> That's the that happened of eulogy. Oh, God. That That's is. What he, yeah. He Open went... with your longest and strongest. <laughs> David was a human being. Wow. It's like you made. There's nothing redeeming about poor old David. He, the no, poor old David. He was oh, a car salesman and. He's a husband of a wife of mine, uh, a wife of mine, a husband of a friend of mine, <laughs> an ex-husband. So we were about, the only people in the church were a couple of taxi drivers and, yeah, five women friends. And, and he was a really rich, obnoxious, like loads of money and sports cars. And his favourite saying was always, the, the boy with the most toys wins. Oh. And I'll never forget at his funeral, his ex-wife would put a placard up against the coffin. The boy with the most toys still dies. <laughs> oh, oh my god! <laughs> Sometimes I remember that, and I think, did that really happen? That was extraordinary. That funeral. An ex-wife, a couple of friends, and some taxi drivers is what I call a pretty good turnout. We moved on to question two, which is, who would you like to apologise to, and why? I think I'd like to apologise to my kids but not in their forms they're in now, but as they were, like the older, I had them in two batches. And for a while I went down that road of I'm the mother, this is how it is. And then I really changed, you know. I thought, this is not, uh, I came up with a lot of very, what was regarded as off the wall ideas of mothering. And, let go of the reins a lot for the last two and had so much joy. And I would like to go back to the older three when they were, you know, five and six and say, it doesn't have to be like this. I've found a better way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's hard to explain. Well, you're a kid. I just think, you're a kid yourself. Hey? You're a kid That's yourself. Right. I, was, I was so young. Yeah. And I, I didn't, um, you know, it didn't last long, my reign of mothering, you know, until I let go. Um, but I regret every day I wasted, you know. It, it was a strange 
time. Uh, you know, it was, I came from that era where children are seen and not heard. And I remember even when they were born, mum saying to me, is, is he a good baby? And he said, well, how could he not be a good baby? You know, crazy. I think we we do, you know, my grandmother said something very funny once and I used it in stand-up. She said, you know, the problem these days, people are having fewer children and they mean more to them. And <laughs> that sounds hor- you know, horrendous. But there is so much truth in that. Yeah. That, you know, we it's not that they, obviously they mean the world to you, but I, I think it's pretty shameful the way we rely on our children to fulfil our bragging yeah. rights, you know? Yeah. But I- how did they... People who bandy around their kids' year 12 marks, their final year score, and it's just like, yeah, well, that's great, but can they make conversation? Are they kind, you know? Mm. There's so many more, or so many deeper ways to measure success. Mm. I, I mean, my... My thing is always seeing those parents rocking up with their kids to Australian Idol, you know, the kids who couldn't sing. Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't understand how that happens because my kids are performers and I don't have love deaf ears, you know. Mm. Like I can hear a good voice or a bad voice, even of children I love to death, you know. But it's crazy how people can't hear it. It's it's so interesting. I mean, It's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's love, death is. I think you've just said it perfectly. I think that you've just explained the whole thing. Yeah, they can't hear because mm. they're blinded or deafened by their love. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a really good way of putting it. I uh, makes so, a great so, viewing though. <laughs> we'd like to thank those parents. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, question three: What is your greatest regret? Um. Well, professionally, it would be I was um, in Montreal and just tired, really tired one night. And I had my youngest with me and she really wanted to watch a movie and get um, room service. But I had a podcast to do and I said to my agent, can you please get me out of that podcast? I just haven't got it in me. And... I was just being lazy. Of course, I had it in me. And he did get it. He, he did ask me a couple of times, am I sure? I said, yeah, I'm absolutely sure, you know. And so I chose to eat a hamburger and watch a crap movie instead of going on Mark Maron's podcast. Oh, there you go. <laughs> what an idiot. Oh, when was that? When was that? Oh, it's about six years ago or more. But you know what? You, don't, you never know. And it's the, the thing... The thing is, there are a lot of shit podcasts out there. And how are you to know that Mark Maron was going to be a good one? <laughs> he already was a good one. I just didn't know anything. Idiot. <laughs> um, question four is, what will you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? Well, I think be more honest. Um, not that I feel I'm, I don't say things that aren't true, but there's a lot of things I don't say, you know. Um, I'm finding... Uh, great excitement in this new recovered life I'm living and particularly it's really feeding down into my stand-up and there's so much more to say you know not all of it I think we get very it's a terrifying world to look 
to be different, you know. Um, yeah. There's stuff that, you know, I'm not even ready to say it yet, but, uh, oh, well, I think women need to talk about a lot more than we do. You know, women always have this satisfied belief, and I that if women were in charge of the world, there wouldn't be war. And indeed, I think there wouldn't. But I think we need to put our money where our mouth is. Um, and I really want to get cracking on this to get some sort of resolution on abortion. Like, not as in a resolution of one way or the other. Because I've, I've beliefs that belong in both camps, you know? Mm. I don't understand for a second how anyone could want, like how the right to life movement, their, their idea of the win. You know, it's all about winning both sides. If we can lose this idea of winning and go, look, this is what we're going to agree on, good luck to both of us, and move on. Like, can't, I think women have got a lot to do on this subject. And I think we're more than capable of it. And what I can say is what I can't bear with the right to life is, and I'll tell you the things that shit me about both sides, the right to life movement, they actually want a woman who's had an abortion to believe that she's murdered a child. That, to me, is like wanting someone to go insane. How could you... It's obviously not murder if your soul believes it's not. Then... It's impossible, you know. And then on the flip side, unborn children aren't protected up to 24 weeks. After, you know, that's quite late. That's the only thing, that's where it bothers me, the 24 weeks, you know, because we're living in a world where you can save a child at 24 weeks, born yes. prematurely, but you can choose. And I'm just saying, can we talk about this? Yeah. But it bothers me, not as a busybody, I don't want to go placarding anywhere or hurt anyone's feelings, as a human being, I've got a question about that. And yes. can I please voice it without being accused of being a right-wing bigot and put me in the same bracket? You know, it's, it does come under the banner for me of social justice. And I just think women have to talk. Sorry for my phone beeping during that delicate conversation. Had to do with a minor family emergency. But we return to the subject with Fiona saying she wants to be able to have an open discussion about abortion without being silenced by what she calls the cool kids. Uh, that's crazy that a president has to either be pro-life or pro-choice. Yeah. Like, I would hate to have to be either. Yeah, yeah. Because I find them both repugnant. On in different, I find them both incredible. You know, the best pro-life and the best pro-choice women I know come from compassion, and that's where it should only come from. And all the others should fuck off. You know, those mm. nutters with their socks and sandals, with placards, you know, and also the Nazis on the other side screaming us down. If we've got a question, fuck off. Well, what did um. Bill Clinton say, he said, it should be legal, safe, and rare. That's beautiful. Mm. So that's what I want to get real about and maybe write about, explore, you know? Can I just ask you, with the, um, with the stand-up, um, do, do you need to process something that's gone on in your life before you actually take it on stage? It's a pretty quick turnaround. <laughs> 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 I mean, I guess I the gags come first, 
and then the sort, you know, and then it kind of gets deeper. Like I wouldn't do a show about, like I was in a coma last year, oh, 2016, like complete organ failure, the work. So given 7% chance of life. Oh my and God. I was making jokes as soon as I got on stage, you know, but it's only, I wouldn't write a festival show about it. You know, I'm not doing a festival show about it until 2018 and that'll be two years. Yeah. And that's where I'll put, you know, um, make sense of it all and, and maybe there'd be a narrative to it or, but certainly I remember lying there and just too good to use the lines. Um, I'd been in liver failure and, Apparently your liver is your anger organ. I woke up from this coma a month later not knowing what had happened. Um, absolutely furious. And you think, you know, if you woke up from being a month in a coma, you'd be a bit happy about that. But I was livid. Um, yeah. And this, I remember this nurse came in and she said, and what did you used to do? Just as she was taking my blood or something. So I must, I mean, obviously I didn't look great. But oh what my did God. You I thought, <laughs> that's a bit rough. Anyway, out of my mouth came, oh, I used to blow sailors down by the wharf during the war. <laughs> <laughs> Straight away. It's like, it's like you're just ready to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to fire. But I oh, I've got a heckler. When... I've got a heckler. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> when that's kind of. It, it's funny that that was the, you know, first thing. Well, funny. It's funny that funny was the first thing to come back to life. But, and I certainly put that on stage within weeks of being out of hospital. You know, oh, that's brilliant. Did you dream when you're in? A, <laughs> did you dream when you're in a coma? Did you have any kind oh, of? Oh, shocking dream! And it was the same dream. I was so terrified. I didn't know. Well, a lot of people don't know a lot of things about comas. Not all of us <laughs> get to be in one. Yeah. But I was. Um, you actually have sleep and wake. In the coma? Oh. Hard to explain. Yeah, um, yeah. Of course you would. But when I, whenever I was afraid to sleep um, because the same dream would happen every time and I was uh, – and I don't know what sense my, you know, intelligence had made of what my situation was, um, but I was – I was a fish on a charter boat and there was, I can still see the fisherman and he, it, it was up in Kakadu and he had a family on the boat, a mum, dad, two kids, and they were catching barramundi, I was a barramundi and what happened was, and I really was this fish in my dream, um, he'd say to the family, we'd just catch them for fun, we'd throw them back in the water and I'd slip down the side of the boat and I couldn't, they didn't know I was there. And I'm a fish trying to say, I'm here, throw me back in the water, desperate for someone to find me and throw me back in the water. Oh, my so God. Be, yeah, you don't have to be Freud to work that one out, but I was terrified of sleeping because I knew that I'd become the fish again. So I've actually got post-traumatic stress from this fucking Yeah. <laughs> oh, Fiona, that's full on. It was really full on. Why, and you were in a coma for a month, were you? Yeah. Um, ah. I was actually, it all, I, I was being gassed in my apartment. I had this apartment in Paran and the gas heater was completely malfunctioned. And I thought I had early Alzheimer's because I was forgetting things. Yeah. Um, 
And then I forgot a lot of things. I forgot that I was an addict and started drinking again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just a mess, an absolute mess. And um, if only I'd gone to the doctor and got my carbon dioxide levels checked, but I just didn't have the wherewithal to do anything. And every time I went home, I'd crawl into bed and sleep and sleep because I was enjoying the carbon monoxide, yeah. Oh, my God. So... So it's gas leak. Yeah, and then one night my daughters were in the neighbourhood and they thought, we'll just go check on mum. She hasn't been that good. And there, there I was, dead. Well, as good as. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I'm still rebuilding. So after that, I kind of physically recovered. It took a long time. Um, but mentally it took, you know, and then I was just no good at all, so put myself into a very hardcore long-term rehab to kind of root out the cause of, you know, go right to the guts of it without any worry about what the outside world was doing. I just let it all go and decided to stay as long as it took or I'd be putting out spot fires for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. I thought, wow, I lived through I don't really believe in fate, you know, that never makes sense to me when... There'd be 30 babies have died of starvation since we started this podcast. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, because he, you know, but I do believe that if you've got life, you a dickhead if you don't use it, you know? Absolutely. And um, and so six months you were there. Yeah, cleaning toilets and just literally, as I said, recalibrating, you know? Yeah. Learning how to be again. I'm a very lucky addict that... Um, I was very late to addiction, you know, um, so I was able to rediscover who I was before. Mm. And, you know, some of the people I was in rehab with, they start using at 12, you know. Right, yeah. So they've got to actually find out who they are without, you know, substance. <clears throat> Is it- but for me it was really good fun re- rediscovering, you know. I was 36 when it grabbed me by the throat, so there, I had a lot of recall. On behalf of all comedy fans, I want to say how grateful we are to have Fiona back and bringing the material she worked up in intensive care to a wider audience. Mark Marin, please give her a second chance. Question five is, who is the person who most influenced you and how? Oh, without a doubt, my best friend Jasmine. Um, I met her at boarding school. When I was 15, she's just a force of nature, this <clears throat> woman. And her, you know, she swims upstream. Her life was tough as it could be, you know, married, not married. Her mother married a um, pretty scary guy who was Jasmine's father. And um, they lived in Tennant Creek. Um, so she grew up with alcoholism and violence and Something in her has always just been, she kind of, and I love this when people who aren't religious, like she doesn't have any religion and yet her life is led in the service of others. And for Jasmine, it's always been children and she's raised easily 17 children, mostly like two hers, biological children, but Aboriginal babies that are down and out. And what she does is extraordinary. She um, she never she doesn't go through the channels of fostering whereby 
and then you get paid a stipend by the government and, you know, there's red tape. She hates red tape. She does it as a, as a friend to people who are struggling. She says, well, if you need me to have the baby, I can. And, you know, let me know when, you, when you're okay. So she does this for nothing. And she's, like at the moment, she's my age. She's just taken on another one. Wow. Um, and she's 53. It's incredible. And I remember she said to me once, um, because I got into fostering up in Alice Springs through because of Jasmine, although I was too gutless to do it the way she does it, but she said to me, because when I first saw her doing it, and she would hand these babies back in a heartbeat because that's what she believes is the right thing to do, and the babies are better off with their mothers, but their mothers were just too sick. And she doesn't judge, you know? And I said to her, but don't you, don't you get, you know... Aren't you bereft when you hand the baby back? Like he's been your baby for two years, and this is a baby I remember twenty five years ago that she had. And she said, "Oh God, Fiona, nobody owns babies." And she's really hard. She's she's always telling me what a fucking idiot I am. So nobody fucking owns babies, Fiona. She said, "Every ass needs wiping. Doesn't matter who wipes it. You basically, get over yourself and get on with it." Um, and she did the same for me when I went into rehab um and she's been there just she just took over them even though my kids are young adults you know their mother was not available for most of the year and she just picked up picked it all up for me what a great person i kind of want her sainted or something and it's extraordinary to think too that she's lived her life like this for no reward there's no reward on the other side in her manner you know that's not part of her design, you know. What an amazing person. She's absolutely. What a great philosophy. Every ass needs wiping. Every ass needs wiping. Doesn't matter who wipes it. She's like, I always call her Mother Teresa with a mouth like a sailor. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably very genuine. It's a really good way of putting it. It's a really good way of being. Um, question six, when was the last time you cried and why? Uh, probably two nights ago. I put a bit of I put a bit of time aside to cry every evening. Um, <laughs> I kind of I love crying, always have, um, but it's really part and parcel of post traumatic stress, like to just let it out instead of um, I've kind of had to learn how to do it. Um, almost a yeah nutbag hippie now with my meditating and but certainly I. Yeah, I cry a lot. And and how do you do a, like like appointment crying? How do you kind of um, do you need triggers? Um, well, no, it usually happens um, when I'm. I, I have always found sleep quite amusing. Even when I was a kid, I used to be in. I used to share a bedroom with four sisters or five girls in one bedroom. Wow! <laughs> I remember lying there when I was a kid. I just I used to say to the other girls, I'm like, "Do you think it's weird? Do you think this is funny?" And they're like, "What?" I'm like, "Well." One half of the hemisphere just lies down at night and waits to become unconscious. <laughs> they never really thought it was very funny. But it's always amused me, the way we just get, you know, horizontal and wait to become unconscious. So I do a lot of um, ruminating and, yeah, before I sleep, like most people. And it's, I, I guess at the moment it's self-soothing, you know. That's okay. That coma happened. It was very scary. If you want to cry about it, go right ahead. And what kind of meditation do you do? I'm really good at it. I can do, um, 
I, I never knew that I'd be good at this, but I can do it all by myself. I just take myself to a different scenario. I often use uh, the beach in Broome and yep. just walk along a beach. It's nice. And the thought, as they, yeah, as those annoying thoughts come into your head, you just walk, you know, flick them away like you would have an insect. That's great. And you find that helps? So much. To be able to, you know, to have this key that can switch you off is pretty special. Studies show that over half the people who spend time in intensive care will have post-traumatic stress disorder and 40% will suffer clinical depression, which leads me to ask Fiona question seven, what's your current state of mind? I have peace of mind, which is what addicts long for. You know, it's the one thing you can get from sobriety that you can't get from any substance, you know. It looks, it feels like peace of mind every now and then when you, you know, in active addiction, but it's not. It's, it's numbing or it's, um, whatever, it, wherever it takes you, it ne- you never go where this, to this, yeah, peace of mind. God, it's heaven. Yeah. Waking up and not going, holy crap, who do I have to say sorry to today? Or, mm. And get it, putting more and more distance between you and, and shame. Yeah. You know, yeah. heaven on a stick. I, I have enough shame if I go to a party sober and and, <laughs> and wake up the next morning and think, what, do I, what, do, what did I say? Little under <laughs> Question eight. This is question eight. What do you consider your greatest achievement? I don't think I've achieved it yet. What would it be? That's good. That's a good answer. Oh, I think. Yeah, okay, I'll leave it at that. Since she didn't mention her achievements, here are just a few of Fiona's that I know about. She's raised five kids. She's won Best Newcomer at the 2001 Melbourne International Comedy Festival. She won the award for Funniest Show as voted by her fellow comedians at the 2006 Melbourne International Comedy Festival. She was nominated for a Barry Award for Best Show in the 2007 and 8 Melbourne International Comedy Festivals. She sold out venues all over the world, appeared on countless TV shows, and has tirelessly used her own experience to bring awareness to alcoholism. Moving on to question nine. Who would she want on her side in a battle and why? Lawrence Mooney. <laughs> <laughs> and when I, I think of battles for me, they're verbal, you know. And it would be wonderful to have, not really Lawrence, someone like Lawrence with a sharp tongue, a, you know, to go into bat for you, it's really hard being a single female um, with with big families. Yeah. You know, sexism is still so alive and well. And I feel sometimes because you don't, I know it sounds a little bit old-fashioned, but just being that one lone lady, people do take advantage of you. Yeah. Um, or... Or rely on your sensibilities not to arc up, you know. So, no, I'd love to have an acid tongue partner when it's needed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm no fool, you know. I know when someone's being an asshole. I, you know, I, there's one thing I, I've got, you know, so many shortcomings, but I was born with this, uh, you know, I remember when I was married, I used to 
be able to... I used to have to tell my husband who the dickheads were, you know. He just didn't know. I can smell a fuckwit from a mile away. Um, so it's particularly uncomfortable to have a fuckwit tell you what's what and you're too polite to do anything about it, you know. And I've seen Lawrence in action defending his own wife or his own... I just, I find it, I've, I've always been a bit jealous of it. <laughs> I wouldn't mind some of that. Uh, he's amazing with that. Look, I, I, um, I'm good at defending other people, but not myself. So Yeah, um, yeah I'm the same, Adam. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice to have a bit of that for you? Yeah, yeah. But I'm, you're right, I, I've been hit with the politeness thing as well, and I don't know why I've, I've tried to put it down to religion, actually. My, my religion's up <laughs> But yeah. um. Be nice. Don't feel, don't cry, don't talk. Be nice, you know. But let's get back to Lawrence Mooney, who's been cited multiple times on this podcast by Australian comedians as the person they most like by their side in a battle. And he's so um, unapologetic for because we it, there's so much crap out there that... I'll give you an example, right? This is the sort of thing that shoots me. This friend of mine... Um, just this passive, I'm better than you crap. Mm. She's got, and this is, you know, from a fairly traditional Catholic branch of my connections, but her 18-year-old's got a girlfriend, you know, and she goes, oh, but it's all very innocent. And I thought, geez, I wished I could have been gutsy enough to say, how the fuck do you know? Like, Yeah. Are you in the car with them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what's the subject there? As aren't innocent, therefore they're bad, you know? What are 18-year-olds supposed to be doing, you dumb fucking bitch? My brain went straight to, she said, oh, but it's all very innocent. And my brain went straight, I just, I had to stop my tongue. I was just like, because I wanted to go, oh, so he's not fingering her. (laughs) 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 But imagine if you said that in polite company, you'd be the lunatic. Where, in fact, she's the lunatic for insinuating anything about anyone that she knows nothing about, you know? (laughs) I can't wait to be 80. I'll fucking rip the lid off this custard, I'll tell you. I can't wait for that either. (laughs) There's some certain age, hopefully not 80, but... I reckon I just I'm do it now. It. Just just do it now. I just said it on a podcast. <laughs> Let's go. Let's... Um, and the final question, Fiona, what would you like your last words to be? I love you. Oh, perfect. And I bloody hope I've got someone to say it to, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that would be nice. I mean, that's what I haven't achieved yet. Um, my poor husband, you know, but... We were, it was never right, you know, and I was just too gutless to say so. Um, mm. And the restraints of Catholicism, and I remember I promised my kids, you know, I actually made this promise because I believed it, and I thought there's enough stress in the world for everybody. I said to them from very early age, the one thing you never have to worry about is we're never getting divorced. So just take that off the table. You know, what a bloody thing to promise. And so... Yeah, I'd love to meet a... I'd love a boyfriend. I've never really had one. We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names. 
great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Lift off. We have lift off.